You're listening to Sustainability Inc., a new limited series podcast from Boston Consulting Group, produced by Fortune Brand Studio. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fortune. Hello, I'm Gaia Vince, host of Sustainability Inc. Throughout the 12 episodes in our series, we'll be delving into the innovative, inspiring missions of top companies around the globe, talking to the business leaders at the front lines of achieving real climate impact. With the stakes higher than ever and the opportunity to make a difference greater than ever, these are the stories to inspire us all to join the urgent fight for true sustainability. Water is essential for all life on Earth, but only a tiny fraction of the water on our planet is unsalted fresh water. We need that water to irrigate our crops, to produce our food, for industry, construction, to carry our waste, and of course, to drink. Whatever's left, nature gets. Today, we're running out of the clean freshwater supplies we need for people, risking the health and well-being of millions. And yet, with more careful management and new practices, water is one of the few resources that should never run out. It is endlessly recyclable. To achieve true sustainability, we need to value water as the life-giving resource it is. And businesses have an important role to play. With me to discuss the issues involved is Emmanuel Nazarenko, senior partner at Boston Consulting Group. One of the biggest issues that humanity faces is water and governments are preserving and improving water efficiency. Companies can do something too. Tell me what are the biggest challenges that companies face when it comes to water? Well, let me first say that water is a challenge that is similar to nothing else, actually. You have to think of it in terms of supply and demand. And there's a big question around the resource that is behind the supply. Supply is traditionally done by municipal suppliers or other networks. But behind that, you have the resource. And the resource has something very characteristic, which is that it is shared. Water has many usages. It's a living environment for mine life. It's a nutrition reservoir for fishing. It's used for agriculture. That's the main usage for energy production, industry, households. And so it's subject to many conflicts of usage. But as we see the climate change happening, so it accelerates the constraints that we see on this resource. And companies start to feel that as well. So we come from a world of abundance and regularity of the water supply to some sort of scarcity, very dependent across geographies with frequently less regular volumes, more volatility, and even extreme events, extreme events like floods, like drafts, these are the two extremes, or flash storms and the like. So it's becoming more complicated and it's being felt by companies in a way that it has not been felt before. In the food, beverage and agriculture space, water is an essential shared resource. And working with rather than around local communities can play a huge role in ensuring they maintain a positive impact in the environments where they operate. Eski Barcinas, Chief Sustainability Officer at AB InBev, 
discusses how the beer business, which is so intrinsically tied to water, can step up to ensure a sustainable future. So water is already a huge challenge for people around the world and it's only going to get more difficult with climate change. But obviously beer is something that requires a lot of water. It's one of the main ingredients. So tell me, what is the company doing to address some of the challenges at the moment? With operations in nearly 50 markets and sales in over 150 countries around the world, we depend on water and other natural ingredients to brew our beers, like you mentioned. And water is at the heart of our business. You know, we say no water, no beer. We also recognize that there is a global water crisis and it's growing and being magnified by climate change. It's becoming very visible. For example, if you look at the droughts in the western part of the U.S. or the floods in Europe or all across Africa, the water scarcity, So we see that, we recognize it, but we also know that water risk is very local and local action is needed for us to address this big global issue. And the solutions are specific to the local challenges in partnership with the local stakeholders. So we're doing a lot in this space, really understand our water risk, but also bringing that outward in view around what does water mean to our communities as well. So when we think about responsible water usage across our operations and value chain, First and foremost, we look at it inside our four walls. So that's everywhere we operate. We challenge ourselves to brew our beers at the highest level of water efficiency by reducing our water usage per hectoliter beer produced. And we do that through a number of different ways, you know, through innovative technologies, process improvements, but also our sense of ownership that we bring into everything we do. And we've improved our water efficiency use in nearly 40% in the last 11 years. And we're really proud of that. That's an amazing amount, 40%. That's a big reduction. Tell me about some of these innovations. A lot of it is through innovative technologies, really creating the closed loop systems, finding ways to repurpose the water, the wastewater, improving the processes, but again, bringing that sense of ownership to everything we do at the brewery lines. And we're aiming right now for a water efficiency of 2.5 hectoliter per hectoliter across all our brewery sites around the world by 2025. And specifically in those breweries located in high stress areas, we're looking for a more rigorous ambition of 2.0 hectoliter per hectoliter. So again, really trying to find ways and put resources behind those sites where we really need to invest and improve the efficiencies. But we also know that using less water inside our four walls is not going to reduce our water risk, right? And it's also not going to necessarily create a big impact on the local communities as well. So if you look at our 2025 sustainability goals, specifically within that, the water commitment, we're looking to have 100% of our communities in high stress areas to have measurably improved water availability and quality. And I know that some of your breweries and some of your farmers that provide the barley for your beverages are located in very water stressed areas, as you were saying. I know that you've got projects in Mexico, for example, which a large portion of Mexico, of course, is very water stressed. The aquifers are under enormous pressure at the moment. Let's dive in to some of the changes that you've helped bring about there. So through these efforts in Mexico, you know, the farmers will be able to more efficiently irrigate their land, generate higher yields and also higher quality crops. And in some of these cases, these farmers are not in our supply chain. They just are sharing the water resources within the same watershed as us. So really important for us to look beyond our value chain as well and really identify the partners on the ground in how we approach a multi-stakeholder collaboration with a multi-year approach so that we can create that shared sense of accountability and innovate together. It's such a great example of how we are all connected by these watersheds and these big aquifers. Have you actually visited personally any of these sites? 
Yes, I have. I have been to Mexico and visited and, you know, other parts um, around the world as well, especially before the pandemic, about 50% of my time, I would really be out on the road visiting our local teams and really understanding the local challenges. You can't really run a sustainability program when you're based in global and, you know, our New York office is where I'm based and you need to be able to go and meet the teams on the ground, really understand the challenges, meet with the local stakeholders and authorities so that we can really find ways to be part of the solution when you come back to New York or to one of the headquarters of AB InBev and talk to the people that don't directly deal with the farmers, are you able to convey that importance? So that actually becomes a very straightforward conversation inside our operations because for us, supply security is really at the heart of how we think about sustainability. And I think you need to find ways where sustainability is very relevant to your business, where it adds value, it creates value, it lowers risk, and it really offers that shared value for all. This is why you see the food and beverage companies have really evolved their thinking around water stewardship and really set the agenda over the past decade or so. And if you look at specifically AB InBev, over 90% of our products are sourced, brewed, and sold locally. And again, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, we do rely on thriving communities, local economies, the healthy environments for us to sustain our business. There's no shortage of options for organisations that want to improve the sustainability of their water use, from technological innovations to rethinking wastewater management. Emmanuel, tell me some of the more exciting things you've seen companies doing in the local area where there's a water shortage, rather than upstream where replenishing the water there is not going to help the people who are thirsty back where the water is being extracted. There is a lot of potential and many things that are being done locally to handle water differently from companies. Let me take an example that I find quite striking. That's the rainwater and stormwater harvesting. That is, the concept is that rather than letting the water flow through your premises during a rain or during a storm, you just capture the runoff or you capture the water that comes from the roof and the sort of gutters and you store it typically underneath the site. In the UK, in the US, in Northern Europe, it's getting traction because it has the two benefits. One benefit that it has is to enable the facility to just store the water for later usage. And think about a refrigerated warehouse that is using a lot of water, in particular in summer, by storing the water that can be used for that and storing it during rain episodes, then it can run more independently. So it has a cost benefit, but it has also an extremely important other benefit, which is that it limits in case of big events like a flash storm that may trigger a flash flood, then the water runoff from this area that can be quite big is actually very much slowed down by this system because this water will first be stopped and be stored locally and then it will be released progressively. Agriculture requires water, but that doesn't mean it needs to be an unsustainable process for our planet. Innovative irrigation technology can go a long way in improving efficient water use in farming, even allowing crops to be grown in a desert environment. Steve Marafiotti, CEO of Sundrop Farms, discusses the exciting possibilities. Now, when we talk about sustainability, one of the big issues that we face in terms of our planet is fresh water. So although we're a blue planet, we're surrounded by water, only a tiny, tiny fraction of that is actually fresh water. 
and agriculture takes about 70% of the freshwater withdrawal. Now, Sundrop Farms is doing something really remarkable, really innovative. Tell us, first of all, what is this setup that you have? Our business was established with the understanding of there's finite resources, finite resources around water. And specifically, the world has only 3% of its actual water is actually fresh water. And that is under constant pressure. And that is both a challenge for agriculture and it's a challenge for humanity as well as we try to convert that to food. So with that in mind, we thought to rethink how the sourcing of that water occurs and how that feeds into agriculture and how do we maximise that for the highest quality production, the highest efficiency of that production, and then decouple that as well from freshwater, that 3% of freshwater production that is in the world. South Australia is the driest state in the driest continent in the world. But we've not only thought about that component, but we've also thought about the decoupling away from fossil fuel usage in agricultural production. And how do we intensively use nature's resources to grow more product for less? Sundrop really set out with that sustainability goal in mind and very conscious within its decision-making that we wanted to have that in place. So we built uh, highest-tech greenhouses in a very remote location of Port Augusta. We targeted that area very specifically because it had a high concentration of light. And if we think about photosynthesis, light, CO2 and water are the key ingredients that make up that. We knew we could produce more for less with that using nature's resources. We wanted to desalinate seawater rather than to use freshwater reserves. And so we wanted to be located close to the Gulf so that we could access water. And then we saw an opportunity to capture CO2 emissions from other businesses and to be able to sequestrate that into our plants and our operations. So thinking about those three components of photosynthesis and then how we thought about our water production was that by desalinating that water, and using it in a greenhouse, it gave us greater opportunity to recycle the water within the operation. So Sundrop Farms, it's a closed system that you have there. Yes, so when we think about water, traditional agriculture, I'm third generation in agriculture myself, and so we've seen all of the operations, traditional operations, and rethought those. And within the business, so traditional agriculture will use about 4.5 litres to about 5.5 litres of water to produce one kilogram of fruit or vegetable, because a lot is leached into the soil through traditional irrigation. Our production by using desalination and having that recycling, that closed loop, is using about 2.3 litres per kilogram. And you're sourcing that water in a way that doesn't affect other wildlife, other agriculture and other water use. So how is that affected by your system? So we use a greenhouse structure called a semi-closed greenhouse, which means there has very few windows in the roof of the facility. And so what you create is a microclimate within the greenhouses that that transpiration of the plants is limited as well. So what we see is some evaporation from leaves, that's inevitable. But our opportunity is really to limit that by adding condensation to the air and adding humidity to the air so as to manage that transpiration rate as well. We have really strong controllership around those transpiration rates and we have measures that are measuring that incoming water, the usage of the plant, and then we understand each of the various components of what are the uses of that water. Now, this really is very much a pioneering innovation, this greenhouse system that you've got. How did the company 
get the initial investment. So the team in the early days spent a lot of time strategizing and theorizing around how do we bring together known technologies in a useful way to achieve our objectives. So took out some of that risk by using known technologies, using things like the multi-effect distilling, which is used in the bases of large seagoing vessels. So that's how fresh water is produced in a seafaring vessel. And in terms of the cost-benefit analysis, how expensive is it? Yes, so heavy capital investment, as I mentioned, but thereafter our costs start to come down. So we have a large amortisation of that original cost, but outside of that, our cost base is much lower because we're producing our own electricity, we're producing our own water, some of those key components. There is a large labour component that goes into our operation. Humans touch plants weekly, so there's five and a half million touches by humans per week that are occurring, so we have a large need for labour. So that makes up our largest cost component, but when we think about our utilities that are feeding that, they're well under control and far better than our competitors, both from a cost but also an environmental impact position. Now, and what's the reception been to this incredible idea of producing your own water and your own power by using the sun, but also using carbon dioxide that's captured from other industries that is extremely polluting, as we know? So early days, a high level of scepticism because it was seen as overly ambitious. And that's part of the challenge and part of the responsibility of the team that we've taken that responsibility on our shoulders and said, let's ensure this is successful. Let's stand up and become a beacon for industry of how things can be considered. One of the main issues with fruit and flowers and a lot of vegetables is a lot of pesticides have to be used in the field. Whereas if you have it in a closed system, that's not such an issue, is it? No, it's not. Our greenhouse has netting over each of the windows, so every opening has a netting, a screening of sorts. So that enables us to capture and close those greenhouses. And then within that, we can control the population of insects. And so we employ an entomologist within our business. And that entomologist is using beneficial insects to actually go out and target the nasty insects and set up a predatory sort of work task force that go out and do that work. So what we are able to do is not use pesticides at all. So our last two years have been completely pesticide free. When you look ahead to the next decade, say, do you see a big expansion of this? We see a couple of things occurring. We see that others will adopt our technology and our ways of doing things. And we're being encouraged not only by our own business and its success, but also the retailers' business and their success that they achieve from it. And then also to a really strong willingness by international parties and our domestic partner in Coles is really keen to continue to expand as well with us. So we see a nice trajectory moving forward and really strong opportunity for the business. Countries, communities and companies can achieve clean, accessible water through sustainable practices. Often, this means working across borders and along their supply chains. Emmanuel, how can companies look back through their supply chain? How do they tackle this complicated story of making sure that water is being used sustainably right back at the source, especially if the regulations and the oversight aren't too stringent? Water is sometimes compared to greenhouse gases emissions. 
it's actually a bit different because a cubic meter of water is not equivalent if it is used in a place where there is a scarcity or if it is used in a place where there is plentiful water and you basically don't harm the environment or the other stakeholders by using this cubic meter. And same way, saving one cubic meter of water does not necessarily have the same economic impact and the same cost first if you do that in a country or another. It's very country dependent. Yet the question is, when you want to do something in water and where you have this in your ESG objectives, you have to indeed tackle it globally. When you consider emissions, I would say that's pretty straightforward. One ton of CO2 avoided or saved is the same everywhere you save it. And so you decide to save it where it is easiest to save. For water, it's more complicated to measure. And so you need to have a strong approach and a strong framework in place as a multinational company to take care of your own water impact and even more about the water impact of your supply chain. Your responsibility as part of a full chain of supply, and especially if you are a big company with lots of suppliers, that's to make sure that your suppliers also have a water management framework that is in place. Globally, companies have set ambitious goals for sustainability in recent years. But there needs to be much more specific focus on the security and scarcity of water to deliver real improvement. Paige Motes, the head of global sustainability for Dell Technologies, describes how the company is tackling the issue. Now, when we talk about sustainability, we're talking about living within planetary means, aren't we? And we all have a role to play, companies and governments and the public sector, of course. But looking at Dell, it's a computer business. What does sustainability mean to Dell? What are the goals that you're pursuing? I would say that in the sustainability realm here at Dell, we're focused on social responsibility with a special eye towards our supply chain. We have a suite of goals focused on primarily the year 2030, but in some cases beyond. As some examples, we have what we call moonshot goals relative to our circular economy space. So as an example, we've stated that by the year 2030, for every product we sell, we will reuse or recycle an equivalent product and that 100% of our packaging and half of our product content will be made from recycled or renewable materials. I know that Dell is looking at greater efficiencies in all their resources, and you have efficiency programs to reduce water use, everything from reduced irrigation and low water landscaping to rainwater harvesting and grey water use in your buildings. Why is that important? We definitely see a connection to water scarcity, to climate change, and obviously as a great global brand and manufacturer of electronics, water can be an element within that supply chain that needs to be carefully monitored. So water is definitely important to all of these concepts. It's not just about what's happening within our own facilities, where we certainly want to focus on reducing freshwater use, but it's also partnering with our suppliers and trying to understand where they may be using water, how they can continue to strengthen their programs around water reduction, not only in those areas where water isn't scarce, but especially focused in those areas where water scarcity is on the rise. 
The WBCSD, they are an organization that focuses a lot within the circular economy space and broadly. They're a thought leader, an NGO that we and others have been partnering with in a multitude of different ways. But this particular group that they've formed is called WASH or WASH for Work. And WASH pledges ensure that you're focusing not only on your operations to ensure that you're focused on clean water, but also the reduction of freshwater use where it's not necessary and partnering within communities and your broader ecosystem to ensure that water health, water availability, and addressing issues relative to water scarcity are forefront within your organization. I mean, water scarcity and clean water is really, it's an environmental issue, but it's also a deeply social issue. Why was it important to Dell to tackle that social issue of sustainability through clean water initiatives? Every single part of sustainability, whether it be circular economy, climate, water, waste, all of these concepts, ultimately, if they're not kept in check, have human impact. But if done the right way, have a positive human impact and that you are engaging and enabling people in a more effective way to really help advance these opportunities for doing better for the communities and for the world. So as an example on the Wash for Work program, part of the requirement, but part of also what we are doing is partnering and better understanding, not just in India, but beyond the communities where we operate, better understanding what the risk assessments are for those communities. Do we have a good documented strategy for how we can partner in those communities? Do we have a documented strategy for engaging across our supply chain, especially those that may be water intensive suppliers? So ultimately, people are at the heart of everything and communities are at the heart of everything. And so we try to not only operate independently as Dell, but engage through deeper partnerships like wash for work but also groups like the Responsible Business Alliance, which we have been involved for quite some time because we don't believe we can do this alone. This has to be something we've got to lock arms with like-minded organizations and do more together. And what's the ambition over the next, say, five years? Where are your sustainability goals taking you? We publicly have goals and targets relative to Dell reducing freshwater in our own Dell-owned facilities by 25% in locales with high water stress. And we also have publicly stated that we want to reduce freshwater use in our Dell Technologies facilities by 10% in all locations elsewhere. As far as our suppliers, we don't have a standalone goal relative to water with our suppliers. It's more partnering hand in glove with them to work on best practices and helping them advance in their own goals. But we certainly continue to make it one of the key focus areas. As the climate heats up, reliable access to water supply is increasingly threatened. And it's something companies are beginning to take seriously and prepare for. This really is a growing area in sustainability, people investing in water security. Emmanuel, have you seen interest grow in the last five years? Well, what I expect is a continued interest in the water sector from investors, quite some consolidation in the industry as well, because this is an industry that historically had been quite fragmented and where we see some companies consolidating their business and their sector. So we see quite a number of acquisitions and consolidation across the sector. 
I think that's uh, important also because this industry has to contribute to all the challenges that are out there in getting the water management being more effective, more efficient, cheaper and more affordable for the municipalities and the other users, both municipalities and companies. There is a lot yet to do in terms of developing our water infrastructure, both the traditional water infrastructure to just manage the water cycle, purify the water to potable water or to water usable by industry, but also clean the wastewater and release it to the environment, the river, the sea or the water tables in a good shape. Companies are in the business of making profits, obviously. Why should they care about water sustainability? Well, for the companies that are exposed to water risk, it is in their best interest. First, for the large users of water, they care not only about the risk, but also because their own investors care about it. And you can see it growing very fast through ESG demands from all kinds of investors, and in particular, the key ESG investors. So now there's a big part of the money invested that cares about that, so companies care as well. And I think that in many cases, there's also genuine interest in contributing to improving the overall sustainability. And water is a big part of it. When you look at impact on the environment, your ESG approach, actually you find climate first, but very, very soon you find water. And so as a responsible company, you start caring about water. Caring about water is a key part of being a responsible, sustainable company, because water is the essence of life. We cannot live without water, and neither can the nature around us, the environment on which we all depend. If we restrict or pollute our water supplies, we very quickly harm ourselves. There is plenty of opportunity to do better, to waste less and conserve more, as we've heard. We can all play a part in supporting the naturally replenishing cycle of water and so of life. Sustainability Inc. is a Boston Consulting Group podcast produced by Fortune Brand Studio without the participation of the Fortune editorial staff. Next time, we'll look back at some of the innovative stories we've covered in our series and discuss what the future holds for reaching net zero with Rich Lesser, Global Chair of Boston Consulting Group, and Alan Murray, CEO of Fortune Media. Thank you for listening to Sustainability Inc. Please subscribe, download, and leave comments and ratings wherever you listen.